In our morning services, we've been looking at character renovation, teaching us to learn to walk in love. In the evening services, we've been looking at the need for divine empowerment in our lives. And uh, the last couple of Sunday nights, we've been looking at specifically at prophecy, why we need prophecy, the role of prophecy in the church. God has given the gift of prophecy as one of the gifts of the Spirit. He's given the office of a prophet as one of his ascension gifts. That in the book of Acts, the way Luke writes, is that uh, everything about the Holy Spirit is prophetic in nature. Even the miracles are prophetic in nature in the sense that they are simply advertising and showing Christ, they're speaking about Christ, they're speaking of His ability. Prophecy is very thorough in the New Testament church, and so we've been dealing with it for last Sunday nights. And it would not be fair or correct of me to move on to a different subject until we emphasize this aspect of the gift of prophecy is that it is to be judged. So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you would please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, where Paul, as he wraps this up, he says, Don't quench the Spirit. Don't throw water on this. Don't dampen the enthusiasm. Don't put out the fire. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesyings. Then he goes on to say, but prove or put to the test all things and hold fast to that which is good. It's interesting to note that this church that Paul's writing to, the Thessalonian church, when he writes what you and I call 1 Thessalonians, it's only six months old in the Lord. Anybody here more than six months old in the Lord? This church is only six months old in the Lord. Half a year ago, they were heathen idolaters. Pagans. Paul went to Thessalonica, you could read it in Acts chapter 17, and amidst a very powerful move of God, very powerful demonstration of the Spirit of God, the preaching of the Word of God accompanied with the miraculous, brought about the conversion of these people in Thessalonica. And this very young church is already moving in the gifts of of the Holy Spirit. Now that's important to me because that tells me the mindset of Paul the Apostle who wrote most of our New Testament as we know it, who wrote such a major part of it, believed that the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are foundational to the New Testament church. In all of Paul's churches that he founded, there's always the presence of what we call the charismata or the evidence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and he had evidently thought it was important that the church learn to hear from God not only through preaching and teaching of the word but through the prophetic gifts of the Lord six months old and they're already doing it 
Now, obviously, there must have been some mistakes being made for Paul to to have to say, well, don't quench the Spirit, because maybe somebody was really wrong in something, and so the tendency was to just shut this down, not have anything to do with it. Wrong response. Don't quench the Spirit. And if somebody's making a mistake with prophesying, don't despise it. Just because somebody's making a mistake somewhere, or there's been... Ex, uh, extravagance or extremes or whatever, the response to that is not to quench and not to put it away. But the proper response is good teaching on it. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesying. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, they were prophesying the same day they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Did you hear that one? Acts 19 and verse 6. Twelve men in Ephesus were prophesying the same day in which they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Our expectations, church, are far too low. Six months old, prophecy is plentiful in the church. Acts, they're prophesying the same day. Acts chapter 2, one of the reasons you would be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit is so God can use you prophetically. So the gift of prophecy is to be abundant, is to be frequent, is to be normal. It is a way in which God speaks to us. Yes, God speaks through us through the preaching and through the teaching of the word. Of course he does. But church and worship is meant to be a two-way communication. We speak to God, God speaks to us. That's normal. I mean, how would you like a conversation where... where you never got to talk. Somebody else did all the talking and you never got to respond. Maybe you do like conversations like that. <laughs> Nobody like conversations like that. You know, do we need some marriage counseling on this? Or <laughs> you know, but church is meant to be two-way communication. Us to God, God to us. It's an interaction. The Holy Spirit helps us to worship Him and the Holy Spirit helps us to hear from Him. It's just the way New Testament is. And uh, very, very important. And the Bible reveals that you and I should be very open uh, and eager to hear God speak. But we're not to despise prophesying. That's what it says here in, in Thessalonians. Don't despise prophesying. Now, what does that mean? If we are to judge all things and prove all things, but not to despise, I want to suggest to you, in order to judge prophecy accurately, there are certain conditions that you should meet in your own heart. The first condition is your own heart attitude has to be correct. There are some people who criticize everything with the mean of being destructive and putting it down. And when they correct the mistakes, they don't intend to correct, they intend to shoot something. Our own heart attitude has to be correct. If we're not going to despise it, we have to have a correct heart attitude. I'm going to suggest three things. It means that our heart needs to be sincere. Because we don't want to judge out of prejudice. We don't want to judge out of unresolved issues we have in our own lives. Because that's going to cloud the judgment for sure. 
Make sure that we are sincere in our heart. Make sure that we are governed by love. Because you know what? For people to move out in the things of the Spirit when they're learning and so forth, it takes courage. It really takes courage for people to open their mouth, to speak in public, and to you know, share what they believe the Lord is saying. And it, could be, it takes courage to do that. And, boy, we need to love people who have got the courage to do these things. So let's make sure that we've always got this attitude of sincerity, attitude of love. And thirdly, let me suggest that we need to do it with grace and in the spirit of grace. In other words, we are to have such an atmosphere of love that we encourage each other to grow in these gifts even if mistakes are being made. We rejoice in the other person's step of faith because the fact is we are all learning together. Amen. And if we're not going to despise, make sure we're not despising something, then make sure that our heart is sincere, make sure that love's ruling in our hearts, and let's make sure we're full of grace. And that's the proper attitude in which we should take into this whole thing of judging prophecy. Um, I'm going to share with you that of all the different tests that the Bible talks about how to judge these things, they basically fall into three categories. I'm going to give you ten different tests here, and all ten of them will fall into one of these three categories. The first category is what is the character and the conduct of the speaker? We'll look at that. The character and the conduct of the speaker. The second thing that needs to be examined is what is the content of the prophetic word? What is it? that has actually been said, the content. And the third thing is, what effect is it having on you as you hear it? What effect is it having on you as you hear it? All the tests that we, the Bible use, gives us to learn how to judge the things of the Spirit will fall into one of those three categories. What's the character and the conduct of the speaker? What is the content of the prophetic word and what is the effect that it has on those who are hearing the prophetic word? So let's go with the first one, the, the test of character and conduct. For that, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 15 to 20. Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. It says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. You see that thing up there? (laughs) There's the false prophet. A wolf dressed up as a sheep. How do you know the true from the false? It says, goes on in verse number 16, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Or do they gather figs of thistles? 
Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. Look what it says in verse 18. A good tree can not. I wonder what cannot means. What does that mean? Cannot. Means can't. Cannot. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore it's by their fruits you shall know them. By their fruits you shall know them. The fact is, the false prophets will disguise themselves with sheep's clothing. They'll probably disguise themselves a little better than what you see there. It's going to be their character that is going to reveal to you what their agenda is and what their heart is. Listen carefully. Edification does not come from a corrupt source. Edification will not come from a corrupt source. An example would be Balaam in the Old Testament. There is no doubt that Balaam spoke some beautiful prophetic words. Some of his prophecies are the most poetic you will find in the Old Testament. And he even spoke the truth because God made sure that he spoke the truth. But the fact is, he did not bring edification to the people because his character was terribly wrong. He was greedy for money. He was greedy for position, for fame, for recognition, and he wanted to prostitute his gift for financial gain. And he kept arguing with God about this stuff. Well, why don't you let me do this and let me do that? He's trying to find a way. And God wouldn't let him prophesy something against Israel. But what he does do is he goes to the king of Moab and he says, God won't let me prophesy a curse against Israel. But I'll tell you how they'll bring a curse on themselves. He says, bring in sexual seduction to them and let that loosen the camp. And they will end up cursing themselves. And that's what has happened. Um, it, it led to his downfall. And it led to the downfall of the nation as well. Listen again. If the person's lifestyle is corrupt, you're not going to expect any edification from that. I know that I have stuck my neck out in making comments publicly about certain ministries uh, and I know I was not very popular with a lot of people. But I say, I don't understand why the whole world is flocking to this revival, why everyone from around the world is going there, when the man's character and conduct is questionable. What are you doing? Oh, but miracles are happening. Uh-huh. Really? Oh, the, the things that God is doing. Uh-huh. Really. And I remember I took a stand and a lot of people were just not exactly happy with me. Because the man's conduct was wrong. 
and his character was wrong. And it was missing the gentleness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it just was not right. And the fact is, a corrupt tree, somebody with bad character, somebody with wrong conduct, is not going to be able to bless you no matter how eloquently they may minister. Oh, you're judging the person. Exactly. That's what you're supposed to do. Oh, judge not lest you be judged, people will say. Don't mess up the context of the scripture. We are to practice discernment. And when somebody's character and somebody's conduct is way out of line, please don't trust anything about their ministry. Whether they're praying for the sick or whether they are prophesying or whatever, you're making a mistake. Jesus said a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Can't do it. And if we want to bypass the issue of somebody's character and conduct, we are committing suicide. Is that too harsh? Some people think it is. I think it's biblical. It's very, very biblical. Does the person have a sustained record of making wrong choices in life? then he may have deeply flawed motives in what he's doing. Is the person scandal-free? Does that person have a proven character when it comes to the things called money, sex, and power? What is the state of their marriage? And if these things are questionable, you really don't want to sin under their ministry. Is that too harsh? It's biblical. You really don't want to sit under that ministry because a corrupt tree cannot edify you. Can't do it. Are they in warm relationship with other believers? Are they in commitment to a body of believers or do they resist being committed somewhere? Some people are afraid of getting too close lest issues in their own heart become apparent. Are people under authority to leadership? These are good questions. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and you'll see what I'm talking about. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 29, for instance, it says, Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. Well, it sounds like there's more than one prophet in a church. But let them speak two or three and then let the other judge. Here's a question. Are they subject to other ministers? Do they work in tandem with other ministries that will balance them, or are they just loners who tend to drift? They need to be in working relationship with other ministries as well. If they're not, there's something suspect going on. Verses 30 to 32, here's a question. Do they exercise self-control? Verse 30, it says, If anything is revealed to another that sits by, let the first hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. For the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, if they don't exhibit self-control, there's something wrong. 
And then in verse 36 to 38, it says, What? Did the word of God come out from you? Did only, is it unto you only? If any man thinks himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that are read unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anybody wants to be ignorant, then let him be ignorant. In other words, they need to be teachable people. They need to be teachable. They need to be humble enough to receive instruction and receive correction. If those things are not there, not subject to others, don't exercise self-control, and are not teachable because they're so anointed, who dares question that anointing on them, then they're probably false. They're probably false. You judge by their character and their conduct. Jesus said you're going to know by looking at the fruit. Romans 14, 17, Ephesians 5, and verse 9, it says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, it says. I want you to know that when we're dealing with the Holy Spirit, you're dealing with righteousness, you're dealing with purity, and you're dealing with truth. And if those things are not evident, righteousness, purity, sincerity, truth, and humility, if those aren't there, if that's not discernible to you, then I would say as bold as this, don't you trust any prophetic word that they speak. Because their motive is wrong. And good fruit will not come from a corrupt tree. You have to judge the character. Is the character reliable? Is the person accountable to authority? A lot of people are just loose cannons attempting to teach particular doctrines. And there are plenty of people who are just as loose as they are and will flock to hear anything from anybody. You know, And they have their own private spiritual party. They think they are. But the Bible says you cannot get good fruit from a corrupt tree. Character and conduct. You must look at that. So let's go to the subject of content. That is, what is being said. There are four tests when it comes to content. I think there's four. The first test is, is what is spoken... Can it be supported by Scripture? Can it be supported by Scripture? There's so many verses I can give to you out of this, but I'll pick and choose because if I gave you all of them, we'd be here all night. Go to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Verses 19 and 20. It says, and when they will say to you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and to wizards that peep and mutter. <laughs> How do you know as a wizard and when you see one, it peeps and mutters. <laughs> it says, should not a people seek unto their God? Should they seek for the living to the dead. But verse 20 is what is where we're at here. It says, To the law and to the testimony. 
if they speak not according to the law or the testimony, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, everything that God says prophetically, you should be able to go to your Bible and support it. Oh, that's in agreement with the principles of Scripture. Yes, the Bible does teach that. Yes, yes, yes. No, it doesn't. You should be able to hear the content of it and judge it by the Scriptures. Every manifestation of the Holy Spirit prophetically is going to agree with the Scripture. It's not going to contradict anything that is already written down in the Scripture. So if you hear a prophecy that would say, well, God is not love, well then, obviously, that's an obvious one. You say, well, that's not biblical, that's not, right? Because the Bible says God is love. Some things are pretty easy to pick out. But if we are not students of the Word, if we're not really familiar with the Scripture, then it's easy to be drawn aside on issues. Or the Lord showing me that you have a soul tie with so-and-so. Wait a second. I'm going to raise my hand and protest on that one. Because I've studied much about what the Bible says about your soul and how it relates to other people through sex, relationships, and all that. I have studied the whole thing out, and there's a lot of teaching out there that is extremely exaggerated on this stuff. Extremely exaggerated. And it has to agree with Scripture. It has to agree with Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never contradict Himself. There will be no contradiction between a prophetic word and the truth of Scripture. There'll never be a contradiction. Never, never, never. Now, please notice I'm saying won't contradict the Scripture. The Holy Spirit may contradict your traditions, which are not scriptural. Peter had a problem in Acts chapter 10 when he had a vision. He was praying on the rooftop and he has a trance and the Holy Spirit appears to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Remember he saw the great white sheet come down from heaven and all the unclean animals in it? And Peter's response was, that can't be God. But it was God. But it didn't agree with his tradition. And God was showing him that his tradition was wrong. Don't you call Gentiles unclean or common? And so there had to be some correction to his understanding of the scripture. So the Holy Spirit may contradict your tradition, but he'll never contradict truth. So we have to be careful on that. So that's the first major test here in content, is can it be supported scripturally? The second test is this, does it exalt Jesus? Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 10, has these words. 19 verse 10, I'll just pick up the last phrase of the verse. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, behind every gift of the spirit, including prophecy, the central theme is always about Jesus. This is to reveal Jesus. And when somebody comes prophesying and the emphasis is more on a doctrine, or the emphasis is more on a personality of a person, rather than upon Jesus, 
treat it with suspicion. Treat it with suspicion. Does the prophetic word tend to draw you closer to God or are you being asked to follow a fad or another person? Or is the prophecy asking you to become preoccupied with something else like prosperity, for instance? You know, no, it's always about Jesus. And if it's leading you in the fad or it's leading you to follow a personality or whatever, treat it with suspicion. It says the spirit of prophecy is to testify about Jesus. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, is that He will speak about Me. He will glorify Me. He will take My words and bring them to your remembrance. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, every manifestation of the Holy Spirit, is to lift up and to glorify Jesus. The more powerful the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the more aware you and I should be of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The next test is, has what they said come to pass? Here's a test, of course, that's going to take time before you can apply it. If somebody says, oh, I see you in such and such a building, and oh, the Lord is going to bless you, and God is going to build a great thing here, and you discover six months later you've all gone bankrupt, and the building's been sold from under your feet, and somebody else has got it, guess what? Uh, wrong building. How about just wrong prophecy? How about somebody just prophesying their heart and not the word of the Lord at all? And the trouble is, we are naive enough because we are scared to say that person was wrong and we allow them to continue to prophesy. When obviously they got it terribly wrong. Where's leadership? Why don't we say, uh, excuse me, but you said that we would be there, and you said, you know, and, uh, and it got sold out from under our feet. Uh, now, did God fail, or were you just wrong? And yet, when they come around to prophesy again, we want to hear their word, but, but they're wrong. They were wrong. And I don't know about you, when I see somebody wrong, I'm not so sure I want to commit myself to somebody I know who pretends to be wrong. What's the scripture we're looking for? Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 to 22. It says, But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. How many glad you don't live in the Old Testament? All right. Now, if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do we know whether this is God or not? The answer in verse 22 is simple. How do you know whether it's from God or not? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if it doesn't come to pass, then that thing which the Lord is not what the Lord has spoken but the prophet has spoken it presumptuously 
don't be afraid of him. They prophesy things that don't come to pass. It's a bunch of presumption. Now, I'm no fan of Christian television. People know that. I'm not a real fan of it. Because I see so much nonsense going on and so much prophetic words given the past that have not come to pass. And I said, well, why do people tune in again? Why do they listen to it again? Oh, by such and such a year, a Christian will be in the White House. Sit over television for the whole world to hear it. Great man of God says this. Yeah, and there was the most corrupt, immoral person in the White House has seen in decades and never did become a Christian. The prophet was wrong. So why do we tune in and expect good fruit to come from a corrupt tree? Deuteronomy says, when they tell you something's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, it's presumption, it's not the Lord. They got it wrong. They're prophesying out of their own selves. So why would you trust your life to somebody who prophesies out of their own self? Now, there may be exceptions to this, and the only exception is this. In the book of Jonah, God said 40 days and the city is going to be overthrown. But you know what happened? The people repented before God. And because they repented, God changed from judgment. So there's cases like that. Or you've got it in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10. When God prophesies judgment, but if the people would just get on their face and humble themselves, then God would... Okay, but if God says, I will bless you, and the people take that for granted, and they just go wild in their lives, and God says, okay. All this is conditional, of course, upon our our walk and our integrity and our relationship with the Lord. Hezekiah was told by Isaiah to get his life in order because he was about to die. But he sought the Lord with tears, and God said, okay, I'll add 15 more years to your life. But it's important. When people start prophesying things and it's become obvious that it hasn't come to pass, let's have the maturity to say, hey, this is wrong. And don't go down that path. Don't go down that path. The test of fulfillment. The next one, the test of obedience. While you're in Deuteronomy, go back to chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Because even false prophets can prophesy truth. Even a girl with the spirit of divination in the book of Acts said, These men are servants of the Most High who teach us the way of salvation. But it came from a demonic source. Acts chapter 8 suggests that Simon the sorcerer loved to have displays of power just to get a crowd, and people follow him. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5, it says this, If there arise among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder does come to pass, doesn't mean it's from God. 
Even the demonic can tell you the truth. It says, and he will say to you, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. I would be bold enough to say that I have seen people where supposed miracles do happen, but when you follow them, they lead you into all sorts of heresy, all sorts of questionable practices, and it takes you away from the plain teaching of the scripture. Just because he worked a miracle does not mean he's worthy of being followed or imitated. It is a test. Verse number 3, it says, Don't hearken to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, because God is using this, according to verse 3, as a method of testing your hearts. Can you be enticed in a certain direction? And if somebody works a miracle, it comes to pass and say, Okay, let's go for prosperity. Or let's go for this. Or it's okay to leave your wife. And it's okay. Uh, and the miracles are happening with them. Well, he left his wife, so I guess, I guess I can. You know. Excuse me. It's a test. God is testing the content of your heart in all of this. And it says... Don't follow that person. Don't hearken to that person. The Lord's testing you to see whether you love him or not with all your heart and with all your soul. You are to walk after the Lord your God, fear him, you're to keep his commandments, obey his voice, serve him and cleave unto him no matter what the lifestyle of that person is who prophesied something that did come to pass. Don't follow their behavior. You stick to the scriptures. Well, in verse number 5, that prophet, that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death. Aren't you glad you're not in the Old Testament? Because he's spoken to you to turn you away from the Lord your God. So, the test of obedience. Does it cause us to obey the law? Obey the scriptures? Conform our lives to the scriptures? A good test to put there. So we're to judge by content. We're to judge by, does it agree with scripture? Does it exalt Jesus? Has it come to pass? And if it does come to pass, does it lead us in obedience to the scriptures? And to the path of scripture? So let's go to the next major thing. And that is um, judging prophecy by the effect it has on the person receiving the prophecy. There are, I think, five things here that we should take note of. First of all is the test of encouragement. Does it encourage you when you hear it? First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3, it says the purpose of prophecy is to edify, to exhort, and to comfort. Edify exhort and to comfort so when you hear the word of the Lord it should build you up yes it will admonish us it will encourage us but if it brings confusion condemnation or discouragement I know where that's coming from 
and is not the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 12:10 somebody else is known as the accuser of the brethren. The working of the Holy Spirit in the gift of prophecy is to build up, is to admonish, and it is to encourage. If it brings a sense of agitation, then I would say it's not of the Lord. If it brings confusion or condemnation, or if it leaves you discouraged, I would say it's not of the Lord. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. I like that word comforter. The paraclete. One who's called alongside of you. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to plead your case. It's not to condemn you. To plead your case, not to condemn you. If you're in a meeting and somebody delivers a prophetic word and it dampens the meeting, it's not the Lord. God's not into dampening the Spirit. It's not... The meaning. God's final purpose is always positive. It's never negative. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. And the presence of the Lord is going to enrich us, not make us feel under condemnation, not going to give us grief. That's important. Now, I'm not suggesting that God cannot rebuke somebody through a prophetic word because the scripture is, is full of, of, of that happening. But I would say that's more in line with somebody who is standing much more in the ministry of a prophet as opposed to the gift of prophecy that everybody uh, can operate. But, you know, before the Lord can bring some positive things in our life, maybe there has to be the removal of some negative things. But the principle in Scripture is this. You can read Paul's own testimony in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 8, and 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 10, where Paul says about his own understanding of ministry, is that God has given me this gift, God has given me this authority for your edification not your destruction. So the goal is to encourage and to edify. And if the Lord has to identify something in our life that, yes, needs to be dealt with, the end result is always a positive thing. It doesn't leave you condemned. It's always a positive thing. The end result is always got to be edification, even if correction may be involved in it. That's important. So there's got to be the test of encouragement. Another test we can bring or the effect that it has on you, does it bring you a sense of liberty? Everything about the Holy Spirit is liberty. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says, We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So if any kind of prophetic word has a tendency to make you fearful or to give you a sense of bondage or whatever, just don't receive it. That's not the purpose of the prophetic gift. John 8.32, you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? It sets you free. It doesn't bind you up. It sets you free. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says God is not the author of 
confusion, but he's the God of peace. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, Paul would say to Timothy that we have not received the spirit of fear, but we have received uh, power, love, and a sound mind. And nothing about the Holy Spirit is going to bring you in bondage. And so if the effect that it has on your emotions and on your mind is that it gives you a sense of bondage, a sense of fear, or a sense of confusion, reject it. It's it's not the Lord. He will never put his people under a sense of compulsion. Does the word empower you? Or does the word defeat you? I don't know how wide your own experience is with this kind of stuff. Um, over the, I've been at this for how many decades now in all sorts of full gospel Pentecostal charismatic circles on many different continents. Uh, and it's true, I've seen them, maybe you have seen them, but there are some people, how do I say this kindly? They exercise a kind of charismatic witchcraft by which they try to direct other people's lives through prophesying to them. Oh, the Lord says this. The Lord says that about you. And the Lord says this about you. And the Lord says that. And they're directing your life and, and, and you're kind of controlling their life through gifts of the Spirit. There's a word for that. It's called witchcraft. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit does not do that. It's important that we understand that. It doesn't mean that the Lord cannot give direction through prophecy, but what does not happen is that the person doesn't become a superior over you, controlling you through their gift. That's the difference here. In other words, never, never, never. I could say it here, never surrender. Never surrender. Never surrender your free will to any other person. Never allow anybody else to control you, whether they do it through force of personality or through force of spiritual giftedness over your life. Never, never, never surrender your free will to another person. Always, you're always free. Always free. The next test, does it bring life? The result of a word from the Lord should be excitement and life on the inside of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. John 6.63 The words that I speak to you they are spirit and they are life. The word of the Lord is life imparting to you. Amen. It's got to bring life. Every true utterance from God will give you a sense of newness of life on the inside. It gives you a lift on the inside not a heaviness. A lift, not a heaviness. So does the word have grace and mercy behind it? Does it contribute anything of substance to you? Does it bring insight, inspiration, or instruction? 
it always will bring life. Then you've got the next test, the test of the inner witness. What should I call this? On the inside of you, you have a knower. You just know. Is that a good word for it? You're knower. You just know. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 20 and verse 27 gives you a word. You have an unction. You have an unction. Or you have an anointing in you. What that means is within your own spirit, the Holy Spirit within you should recognize the activity of the Holy Spirit through another person coming towards you. And there should be a joy and a witness there. But if it's not coming from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you should go, eh. There should just be kind of a reaction. Is there such a word as eh? (laughs) There should be a reaction on the inside of yourself. John 10 verses 1 to 4, Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. Amen. My sheep know my voice. John 16, 13, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit come and he will lead you and guide you in all truth. But here's the one I like the best. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15, where Paul says, Let the peace of God rule your heart. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Now that word rule in the Greek is the word umpire, referee. Are you watching a sports event and there's referees? And what are they looking for? That everyone's fair, penalize you for infractions, pull out their cards, give you a red card, yellow card, whatever kind of cards you give out, I don't know. Send you off field to the penalty box or whatever. But it says, let the peace of God act as the umpire as the referee. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is speaking, there should be within yourself, you have this sense of peace. If it's not the Lord, it should have a sense of agitation on the inside. This is not good English, but trust your gut. Go your gut feeling. Because that gut feeling is the Spirit of God in you saying yay or nay. It's it's very important. He will tell you what is right and He will tell you what is wrong. He will act through your renewed conscience. There will be something of a sense of peace if what is being spoken is from the Holy Spirit. The fact is, is with practice that the servant gets better. Okay? We have to practice it. Hebrews 5 and verse 14 says you have to practice this. It says your senses uh, become better tuned by practice. You know, exercise to know to right and wrong. Our senses are exercised by reason of use. You get better at it with time. You get better at it with time. And it's, a, it's an ability that grows with your maturity and as you grow. The test of the inner witness. And the final one here is the test of the discerning of spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 lists nine gifts of the Spirit. 
one of them in verse 10 is referred to the discerning of spirits. Now that has a wide meaning. It means the Holy Spirit just enables you with discernment. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're just enabled with discernment. There are some people who are highly gifted in this, highly, highly gifted, and they are somehow by the Spirit of God are able to see into the inner workings of somebody's heart. Isn't that a scary thought? Able to see the inner workings of the motivations of what is in a person's heart. And you just know that something is wrong with a person's motive. You just know it. You don't know how you know it or why you know it, but you just know it. You just know it. And, and it's not a gift of suspicion. That's not a gift of the Spirit. But there is an ability of the Holy Spirit that enables some members of the body of Christ that they can sense very quickly if a person is speaking out of a motivation of pride, whether it's actually demonic or just their own heart is speaking here or whether it's the Holy Spirit. People who are gifted in that, this gift of the Spirit, if they're extremely gifted in it, maybe even have visitations of angels perhaps as we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament but there is a gift called the discerning of spirits that God has placed in in the church and the person who has that gift just has this automatic knowing on the inside not a hunch they just see very plain they can see the things of the spirit and so there are five effects that, that's upon the believer. Does it encourage you? Does it keep you in a place of liberty? Does it bring life to you? What's the inner witness on the inside of you telling you? And for those who have the gift of discerning of spirits, what is it saying? And we are to judge the prophetic word by that. Okay, now what we've got to do... I gave you ten different tests there. You know, the first one, the character and the conduct of the person. It's important. Four tests when it comes to content, and five tests when it comes to its effect upon your life. We've got to apply the test. How do you apply the test? Um, let's go to Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. Deuteronomy 19 and verse number 15. A principle here that Paul quotes in the New Testament a couple of times. Jesus quotes this in Matthew 18. But it says, One witness shall not rise up against the man for iniquity, for any sin and any sin that he sins. At the mouth of two witnesses, or the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. In other words, don't pass judgment based upon one test only. Because, oh, it came to pass. Well, that's not sufficient enough to judge it properly because it might come to pass in order to dupe you into following a, a person. Will he teach you the ways of the Lord? Will you walk in obedience after that? One test is not enough in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Um, Acts chapter 16 is a good example of this. 
Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Paul and his party have finished ministering in a certain place, and they have nowhere else to go. They don't know where they should go. And let's read chapter 16 and verse 6. It says, When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. In other words, the harvest was not right there. The timing was not right to go in there. So the Holy Spirit would not let them. The door did not open to go into Asia. Verse 7, And after that, since we couldn't go to Asia, we tried to go to Mysia, then we tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit wasn't opening things up. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Have you ever had closed doors in your life? Verse number 8, And they passing by Mysia came down the Troas. And verse number 9 says, Then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood up a man of Macedonia and asked him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And he gets this in a dream, in a vision of the night. But notice in verse number 10, it says this, that after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. And here's the words I'm looking for. I got old King James Bible. It says, Assuredly gathering. Assuredly gathering. That the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. That word assuredly gathering, can I put that in different words, put all the clues together. When God speaks to you, He will speak to you the same thing through many different sources. When it comes to getting guidance for your life, is the principle is you never go on the basis of one witness. Never. God has to say the same thing to you at least twice in two different ways. Preferably three times in three different ways. And so that you might have somebody prophesy over your life, and it might be the Lord, but it might not be the time for it to happen. My case, prophetic words were spoken over me, and it was 22 years before it happened. I waited 22 years, and I'm still waiting for some visions yet to come to pass. You don't base your life on one witness. What you do is you let the Lord speak to you, then you let the Lord confirm it. Somebody, you might be having a cup of tea with somebody, and for some strange reason, they say something to you, that is so pertinent to your life and they have no idea how pertinent it is to your life and there's no reason for them to share what they just shared with you but it's God just adding the evidence together and then an open door will happen for you that's God adding the evidence together and to determine the will of the Lord takes several things coming together at the same time all saying the same thing then you know this is the Lord. And that's the way we judge prophecy. I've given you ten different tests there, but you might not get an accurate diagnosis by just one of those tests. You have to put several of the tests together, and when they come together saying the same thing, then we hopefully we can understand that. Truth comes by combining several tests. You know, if you go see your medical doctor, 
you know, and you complain, you got this ailment in you, the doctor may have to run a few different tests to confirm the suspicions. But we don't confirm the suspicion until you see the test coming back. And how many know he may order more than one test? Because the, the, the symptom you're giving may have a variety of diagnosis or, or a variety of reasons there. And you may take more than one test to determine the exact cause of the situation. So we don't diagnose based upon one test only. We may have to run several tests and combine the results. It's the same with the things of the Spirit. Some tests will take time. You know, we're waiting for something to be fulfilled. Well, you have to wait. Uh, Some will give you an immediate impression. But the best and the most accurate way of testing any manifestation of the Spirit is to combine the results of all these tests. Combine them all. That ensures a healthy approach to the things of the Spirit. It safeguards the church against abuse, against evil and falsehood, And at the same time, because of the safety that is built in with these tests, it allows the church to enter the exuberant and powerful dynamic of the awesome Holy Spirit without us going crazy. It just keeps things in biblical perspective. And we are to pass. And we want to encourage and encourage and encourage Everybody to launch out into the things of the Spirit. Because this is a safe atmosphere. We're not despising. We're encouraging. We want an atmosphere of absolute love here. And if we make mistakes, hallelujah, let's have a good laugh and carry on. You know, nobody is condemning. It's an atmosphere of love. We want to venture out, get out of our comfort zone, push the limits of our lives, (coughs) enlarge our experience with the Lord but by observing these ten different things then we can be guaranteed a very safe and positive environment in the things of God and the Bible says that we should would, should do those things so there you go how to apply tests to the things of the Spirit in particular to the word of prophecy in the office of a prophet. So I hope that helps. I hope it makes sense. And God is good.